something that I've never done before, and I won't get to do again. Last night, I had the opportunity to attend my 30th high school reunion. That makes me look very old to say that out loud. But here was the interesting part. So there were 132 in my graduating class. And over the past 30 years, I've kept up and kept in touch with maybe four. What was interesting about last night was I knew the individuals who attended the reunion, but I didn't know them. I didn't know what they were doing now. I've conversations with a few. And had the hardest time looking at faces and saying in my mind, I know who that is, but I cannot remember their name. And here was the reason why. It's been 30 years. For some of those individuals, that was the last time I saw them was at our graduation. So there's no connection. There's no friendship. There's acquaintances, but there's nothing deeper than just a superficial um, knowing one another. But as I thought about last night, I thought about getting together. Here we are. And the conversations that were taking place, catching up, remembering things we had done in high school, things people we knew, a few of our classmates who had passed on. But that was the gist of the conversation. It was all surface level because there was no relationship, because there was really no friendship. And the reason I bring this up is as we approach the last chapter of Romans, Romans 16, and heard you think about the turn there. Romans 16 is probably one of the strangest chapters in Scripture, only because it's almost as if we're getting a who's who of Paul's friends. Romans 16 is not deep in theology. It's not deep in missions. It's really kind of odd. When we read Romans chapter 16, it's almost as if we're looking at a list of Paul's Facebook friends. Because that's what we see here. There are names in this chapter. There are 33 specific names in Romans chapter 16 in the first 24 verses. Eight of those people are those who worked alongside Paul in ministry. 24 of these names are people who are already in Rome in the church. And I will tell you right now, I am in no way going to try, going to, try to pronounce all 33 names for you today. I'm not going to do it. Two reasons. One, I will mispronounce them. And number two, that's your homework for the week. You get to read and work on the names yourself. But here's what's interesting. Is that yes, there's a list of names in this chapter. And it's real easy to look at Romans 16 and say, well, this chapter is not important. We've read so much rich theology, so much rich doctrine, so much about missional heartbeat that Romans 16, we really don't need it. But I want to share with you this morning that this chapter is not insignificant. There is gold in this chapter. There are things for us to take away because what you're going to see this morning in Romans 16 is what a relationship looks like. More importantly, what does a meaningful relationship look like that takes place within the church? But it's also about working together. One of the joys of the Christian life 
of being in relationship with other believers are things like just being together, hanging together, laughing together, playing together, and for a Baptist, eating together, praying together, weeping together, thinking together, drinking together, playing together, doing missions together, worshiping together. That's what a community of saints do. They worship together. That's what Christian friends do. So when we read through Romans 16 this morning, we're highlighting what Christian friendship or even Christian fellowship looks like. And we're almost having a case study for this. Think about this for a moment. When you're discouraged and when you're disappointed, where do you find your strength? You find it in two sources. You find it in God's grace and Christian friends. Every one of us in this room has somebody in this room that they can go to and say, hey, will you pray for me? Hey, I'm discouraged. Hey, I'm going through something. Because we are a body of believers. Because there's one thing that unites us, and that is God's grace. Christian fellowship is a gift of God's grace. It's God's grace that we're connected together. It's because of Jesus' death on the cross, you and I are connected together. I came across this really interesting quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German theologian. But this is what he said about community of believers. And listen to what he says. It is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brothers and sisters. Listen to this again. It is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brothers and sisters. Christian friends are the ones that you run to when you're attacked. Christian friends are the ones that you go to when you are down and struggling through life. You need Christian friends. You need those people to encourage you and raise you and lift you up when you're down, but also keep you in check when you do dumb things. You need that in your life. And think about friendship. One of my favorite movies is Tombstone. It's a story of Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday. But there's a scene in this movie where Wyatt Earp is in danger and Doc, who is sick, goes to help him. And somebody asked Doc Holliday, why are you out of your bed in the condition you're in? And he said, Wyatt is my friend. To that, someone said, listen, I have a lot of friends. Doc Holliday said, I don't. I don't have a lot of friends. So if Wyatt needs help, I'm going to help him. The reminder to me is that it's a great gift to have Christian friends, especially Christian brothers and sisters who have the same ambition, the same interest in life, but also live the same mission with you. There is a joy in having friends who are believers. Because that's what unites us. That's what brings us together. As you read through Romans 16, you're going to learn that Paul is not a one-man man. Because in Romans 16, Paul swam with friends. If you just kind of glance at that chapter, you notice that he had ethnically diverse friends. He had Jewish and Gentile friends. He had weak brothers and strong brothers. He had friends who were slaves and friends who were free. He had friends who were male and friends who were female. He traveled with friends. He stayed with friends. He visited friends. 
He worked alongside friends. He got beaten with friends. He was in prison with friends. He sang in prison with a friend. He encouraged his friends and they encouraged him. And at times, he disagreed with them. And at other times, he reconciled with them. This morning, what you're going to see is a theology of friendship and relationship within the Christian life. You're going to see a man who interacted with co-laborers. He worked alongside them. He partnered them with ministry. And this wasn't a sign of him just trying to be special. But when Paul understood that everyone, including himself, is made in the image of God. And working alongside brothers and sisters in Christ is a sign of spiritual maturity. Because Paul understood that the people he worked alongside with, the people he shared the gospel with, were image bearers of God. When I think about what's taking place in Romans 16, my mind goes back to Genesis 1 and 2. God creates this world and he says everything is good, but as you read in scripture, God said that there was one thing that was not good. Of all the things he created, he said there was one thing that was not good. It was this, that Adam was alone. He said it was not good for Adam to be by himself. So he created that help mate. You think about everything we read in Scripture, this idea of Christian friendship, and the reason we need friends to walk alongside us. Let me give you an example of that this morning. Take your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul's going to paint for us this picture of what Christian friendship looks like. Why we need brothers and sisters in Christ to walk alongside of us. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5 through 7. And this is Paul's words to the church. And he makes this statement, starting in verse 6, he says, Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, that I rejoice even more. Paul says when he was downcast, Paul says when he was at his lowest point, God sent Titus to lift him up. And in this Titus touch, we see the result of a church lifting him up. He says that in verse 7. He says, you lifted him up. In turn, he lifted me up. God uses his people to bless and lift and encourage us in times of need. Even the most gifted and the brightest person needs encouragement. And what we see in Romans 16 is that this encouragement, encouragement rather, elevates our ministry. It encourages us to move on, to press on in genuine Christian friendship. Because not only do we need to be cheered up as believers, but there's something more important at stake here. Not just being happy all the time, but there's a reason why we work alongside each other in Christian friendship. Take your Bibles, turn over to Hebrews chapter 3. I want to get some of these scriptures out of the way this morning to see why we need Christian friendship. But in Hebrews chapter 3, there's a danger. 
there's a danger when we don't have Christian community. There's a danger when we're not on the same page, spiritually speaking. In Hebrews chapter 3, jump down to verses 12 and 13. And look at the writer of Hebrews says here. He says, Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The reminders, our hearts are prone to wonder. Sin never sleeps. And we have a deceiver who rages on because he knows his days are short. So in light of the spiritual battle we are in, we come alongside one another to encourage each other with the gospel of peace. Now that I've shared all this of what friendship looks like and why we need it and the pluses and the dangers to it, look with me to Romans 16. This morning, and there are three observations I want to make this morning that Paul shows us in relation to Christian friendship. The first thing is this. It's how Christian friendship is emphasized. Christian friendship is emphasized. We see the importance of this Christian friendship in this chapter by the number of greetings. Notice in your copy of God's Word how many times Paul uses the word greet. And greet certain individuals in certain ways. There are more greetings in this chapter than in any other letter Paul writes. You have to remember, he is talking to 32 individuals. And he's telling people to greet them. He's telling them to encourage them. But notice the diverse terms Paul uses in this chapter. He calls them friend, co-worker, sister, brother, servant, saint, benefactor, the church, countryman, fellow prisoner, approved in Christ, chosen mother. These are some of the terms that Paul uses to greet these individuals. But also notice the various ethnic backgrounds. You have some names in Romans 16 that are Greek. You have some names that are Jewish. You even have a few names that appear to be Latin. So there's a diversity in background. There's a diversity in class. We read that some of these individuals were slaves as well as prominent household members and influential people. But there's also a diversity of gender. Yes, Paul is talking to men, but you also notice in this letter that he's talking to women as well. There are eight women mentioned in this scripture. This long list of names we read in Romans 16 highlights the importance and the uniqueness of Christian friendship and what Christian friendship should look like. And I think that Romans 16 illustrates Galatians 3.28. Because listen to what it says in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you all are one in Christ Jesus. So in this relationship, we see diversity magnified. 
we see the gospel over all of these individuals. And every one of these individuals mentioned in Romans 16 glorifies a Savior who died for their sins. And there's a beauty in this diversity. But there's one individual I want to point out to you this morning in this letter. And she is found in verses 1 and 2. And it's the commendation of Phoebe. Phoebe gets an attaboy from Paul, so to speak. He says, you can trust her. Look what he says about her in Romans 16 and verses 1 and 2. He says, I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister who is a servant of the church in Cicero, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy. Underline that word in your Bible because we're going to come back to it. Worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. He calls her a sister. He calls her as a member of his group. She's the first woman mentioned in this letter. She was probably on her way to Rome. Theologians believe that she was the one who actually carried this letter that we've been reading for the last number of months. She was the one that carried this letter to the church in Rome. She was a person of means. She was a person of maturity. And she had the resources to travel to Rome. But I told you to underline a word there in verse 2. The word was worthy. Notice that word. He said that she was worthy. That you were to receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. That word worthy is an adverb. It comes from the Greek which means weight. It means it has worth. And what's interesting is this word is only used seven times in scripture. And in every instance it's not material worth but a living or acting in a worthy manner. Since you and I know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we've been rescued from our sin. And so because we've been rescued from our sin, we should live in a manner worthy that glorifies God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because He is the divine rescuer. So as a believer, it is our calling to reflect, to reflect on who God is and reflect Jesus Christ in our lives. The uniqueness of the names that are mentioned in this chapter gives us an opportunity to know these individuals as brothers and sisters in Christ who all share the same Holy Spirit. That is what they have in common. They share the same Holy Spirit. These are heroes of the church who are unsung heroes. We don't know a lot about the individuals who are listed in this chapter. We know one or two of them. We know who Priscilla and Aquila are in verse 3. We know their story from Acts. But these others show us again that Paul's not a one-man show. He shows us that these individuals knew the chief shepherd being Jesus Christ. And because Paul mentions them by name, that means that God knows them by name because they're believers of Jesus Christ. And he knows your name and he knows my name because we have said yes to him. And because we said yes to him, we are aware of our service to him. 
That's what Paul is pointing out in this letter. And as we read these individuals, the prayer is they hear the same thing that you and I hope to hear when we stand before the Father when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, because you have glorified him in this life. This list of names, a list of faithful servants that knew Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's why Christian friendship is emphasized. But here's the second observation that you're going to see this morning. Is that how Christian friendship is established. And it's established because of the gospel. The gospel changes everything. Notice the divine relationship with the diverse relationships in this chapter. Notice how they are mentioned. They are in co-workers in Christ Jesus, fellow workers in Jesus, fellow prisoners in Jesus, beloved in Jesus, approved in Christ, beloved, chosen. They are former unbelievers who now, from various backgrounds, are brought into the family of God. And here's the takeaway. The gospel creates new spiritual friendships. What unites us? What unites the diverse people from different towns? It was their faith in Jesus. They called Jesus Lord. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said about friendship. He said, friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, wait, you too? I thought I was the only one. It's those aha moments. It's those moments where what connects you is not pulling for the same team, not enjoying the same activities in the yard. It's the thing that unites every one of us, the fact that we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's what unites us. My love for college football and Norm Seifert's love for college football does not unite us. Our love for baseball. And listen, Norm and I can talk baseball all day long. But that's not what unites us. What unites us is that we are both believers in Jesus Christ. That is our friendship. Not the fact that we like baseball, but the fact that we both love Jesus as Lord and Savior. And that's what unites us. It's the gospel. Because the gospel changes everything because we are in Christ. And because we are born again, we have a common salvation and a shared passion for Christ in his kingdom and for people to know where they're going to spend eternity. And because there's that bond for each one of us in this room who know Jesus Christ, we share life together. We share missions together. We share things that we wouldn't normally share because of what unites us. It's Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was a friend of sinners. And Jesus can take individuals from different backgrounds and bring them together in spiritual friendship. Because the gospel not only changes our personal identities, it establishes a new community. Listen, the thing that has brought us together in this room this morning is not great music and not fair preaching. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here this morning. Not because of who's standing up here right now proclaiming the word. It's because you know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. That's why you're here this morning. 
And it's the gospel that brings us together. But there's a third observation. Not just the gospel, but it's how Christian friendship is experienced. And the word is love. So as brothers and sisters in Christ, how do we love each other? How do we show love in a way that glorifies God and glorifies Jesus Christ as our Savior? A couple of thoughts here. Number one is by honoring one another. That's how we show love to each other. Honoring one another. Again, go back to verse 2. The church in Rome is told to receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. Worthy of the saints. Show love to her because she has shown love to others. He mentions in verses 3 and 4 Aquila and Priscilla. And he talks about their laboring and their sacrifice. Look at verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, verse 4, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. That's love. In verse 7, we see honor being older in the Lord. In verses 6 and 12, we see those who work hard for the Lord. We see all these individuals serving the Lord out of love. It illustrates what Paul told us back in Romans 12, 10, where he said, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. So how do we show love within a Christian friendship? It is about honoring one another. The second thing we do is we show hospitality to one another. Again, Paul urges the church to welcome these individuals, to welcome them to their house church. He implores them to show and practice hospitality. In verse 23, he mentions a man who was lost. But now the follower of Jesus Christ who had hosted Paul in his own home. In this chapter, we see pure hospitality. Again, looking at verses 3 through 16, we see the word greet. Greet these individuals. Show them hospitality. But another thing we see in showing love is showing affection to one another. Showing affection to one another. Throughout the New Testament, we read about warmth. We read about affection. Look at me in verse 16. Paul says these words. He says, Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, I'm not going to push this too far, okay? I'm just going to tell you now. And I'm surely not going to encourage some strange and inappropriate behavior. But our greeting should be warm and our greeting should be sincere. Listen, there are some people who only receive a warm greeting from their dog. Listen, that's the greeting I get. And I love it. But listen, the best greeting I get should be from my dog. It should be from brothers and sisters in Christ who are encouraging, who are lifting, who are exhorting one another. And that's the practice we see here in Romans 16. We see it in Romans 12 where he says, be kindly affectionate again with brotherly love. 
Listen, a short greeting in a conversation with someone can go a long way. Don't think for a moment that in order to have relationships with other individuals in the church, you have to have a three-hour meeting. No, a simple, how are you doing? Good to see you. How can I pray for you? Words of greeting and affection go a long way. But another way to show love, and I love this one, is doing ministry together. That's how we show love. Notice this, Romans 16 is not a social roster. Again, Romans 16 is not Paul's friends list from Facebook. These are people he is doing ministry with. This is a band of brothers and sisters serving the Lord together. It's community being developed together in the trenches, serving the Lord together, doing ministry together. That's what you see in Romans 16, and that's what love looks like within the church. But there's one more. To show love in the church, you see it emphasized. It's staying focused on the gospel together. We must stay focused on the gospel. Look at me in verse 17. And look what Paul says. He says, Now I urge you, brethren, note these who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And then jump down to verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophet, prophetic scripture made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to faith to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. I share this point last because I think there are three things we need to remember when it comes to staying focused on the gospel. And simply this, staying focused on the gospel keeps us unified. Staying focused on the gospel keeps us unified. Notice this, Paul goes through this list of names and then drops a warning. He tells them to greet these people, but then he warns them. He says, be careful because there are false saints. There are false teachers who will disrupt the unity of believers. And unity can only happen in a church through sound truth and sound doctrine. In verse 17, Paul warns about teaching that is contrary to what they have learned. And here's the danger. A false teacher can sound good on the outside. A false teacher can say, love your neighbor, honor people, serve the poor. But if they deny the essential 
truth of Scripture, like the atonement, like the resurrection, like the justification of by faith through Jesus Christ alone, if they're contrary to that, verse 17, he says, watch out. He says, avoid them. Why? Because a false teacher is not serving Christ. They're serving themselves. And a false teacher will come and deceive and divide a church. That's why in verse 19, he says, for your obedience, he urges us, he urges the church to be wise, stay focused, and stay obedient to his word. Because Paul wants every Christian, these in Rome and us today, to be able to discern and detect what is true and what is evil. So stay on the focus on the gospel keeps us unified. But staying on the focus on the gospel also keeps us hopeful. It keeps us hopeful. Because of verse 20. Verse 20 should be the greatest encouragement for us as believers. Because in verse 20, Paul says these words. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. The God of peace will crush Satan's head. That's going back to Genesis 3.15. That's the promise of hope you and I have. Because Jesus has won the ultimate victory. He's won death on the cross. He has defeated Satan already. And Satan knows he's lost. Satan knows he's not going to win. So until the last day comes, Satan's going to continue to try to trick us, try to deceive us. He's going to show up with false teachers. He's going to attack you in various ways. He's going to tell you to still deal with your sin. But in the future, God's going to crush his head. Because we have a Messiah who's already risen from the dead and won the battle on the cross. Now we wait, we await this glorious return. So until Jesus comes back, you and I can live in peace. We can live in total peace and perfect peace with harmony, without sin, without death, without imprisonment. Because one day Jesus is coming back. That's the hope we have and the encouragement we have when we read verse 20. That's why we're hopeful. It's not about performance. It's not about a record. The gospel comes back to the central truth that there's a revelation that's been made known to us. Go to verse 25. And look what Paul says here. Paul talks about this mystery that was kept secret from the beginning of the world. Many things were in mystery, but not anymore. Because we know the mystery, because we know the truth of what's taken place. Because the gospel has been fulfilled as the prophets promised. And Paul plays an important role in unfolding this mystery and telling us the glorious story of Jesus, who is the hero. And Paul says, listen, you have good news. Why? Because verse 27 says, to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Because the nations magnify God, the nations glorify God. And here it is. When you behold the gospel, when you understand that, that you're not only beholding the love.
the justice of God, you're beholding the wisdom of God. And God's wisdom is most revealed through the work of Jesus Christ, which you and I have a privilege of declaring. So we grow in our walk. We grow so we can honor one another. We show hospitality to one another. We love one another. We show affection to one another. We do faithful ministry together and stay focused on the gospel together. Why? Because we have a wise God, we have a wonderful gospel, and we have a wonderful hope because of what God has already done through Jesus Christ. That's what you see in Romans 16. It's not a list of insignificant names. It's not a list of popular people. It's individuals who serve God, who walk alongside Paul and said, we are right there with you because we too serve a risen Savior. This is what community looked like in the early church and what community should look like today with fellow believers. Every head down and every eye closed. This morning, we can have community. This morning, we have the opportunity to be a family of God. But it only happens one way. It only happens when you know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Because that's what unites every one of us in this room. If you know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, that's what unites us. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're not part of the family of God. The names mentioned in Romans 16, every one of these names, they knew Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And Paul understood their value in the work of the kingdom. As I shared this morning, this is the longest list of names of any chapter Paul wrote. But every name is a, is a, it has a purpose. Every name that's in this chapter is a child of God. And every person in this chapter, God knows their name. The question this morning is, does God know your name? Does God know who you are? If you know him as Lord and Savior, if you've accepted his son and the sacrifice he made on the cross, then God knows your name. And this morning there may be some here who God doesn't know you because you've never said yes to him. This morning you can change that. This morning some of you know him, but you've been distant from him. It may simply be that you come to the altar to recommit yourself to him. Some of you this morning may know God, but you may not be part of this church body. Today you can change that as well. This morning the message is about Christian friendship and what that looks like. It starts with knowing the Father through the Son. And that's what makes us unique. It also makes us a family of what Jesus did. Father, we move into this time of response, this time of invitation. The prayer is always is simply this, that your will be done. That, Father, you would speak to the hearts of individuals and just move in a way that's your moving and it's through your power. We pray this in your son's name.